this up. First and foremost, uh, this is one of, I think, the greatest Americans that continues to, to, to communicate with me regardless of how shitty of a friend I am. And um, uh, it, it, as, as he was, he was reminding me that, that Kyle Lamb texts me this morning. He texted me this morning while I was driving. That's why I didn't text you back. But he, he says that I don't communicate him on a regular basis with him. But welcome no, hey, to the show, hey, Kyle. Hey, welcome, welcome to the show, hey, Kyle Lamb. Hey, man, thanks for having me. And I, you know, I give you a lot of crap, but uh, I know you're a busy dude, man. I mean, we're all busy, and it's it's uh, we're cheering from the sidelines. I guess not really the sidelines because we're kind of in the game too. But man, it's you guys are crushing it. Oh, well, welcome, Ryan. welcome to Free Range American, and we're here to talk about you, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about you. Uh, we're well, talking. I was going to say fifty percent of the stuff you do it comes out positive, so that's pretty. That's a pretty good batting average. What are what are the three well, P's? HIV. Got, yeah, we, no, Evan's got his three P's. Got my three P's, Kyle. That I've been disseminating for the last month. Uh, you have to maintain. Your positive attitude, you've got to maintain a professional demeanor, and you've got to be polite. Because in times like this, in our company infrastructure and ecosystem, I think you've got to distill it down to those three things. You have to be graded against those criteria. Uh, and with all the negative shit that is floating around out in our, in our, our society and the, the, the global society, it's like, man, keep your head down. We're thankful to have jobs. You know, be positive, professional, and polite. You know, let's 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 concentrate the task at hand and and not get caught into the white noise bullshit that's out, that's kind of floating around out there. I got elk to hunt in September, Kyle. I'm the only thing I'm thinking about right now is driving an arrow through the heart of a giant beast that I can put on my table. That's the only thing outside of business and family. It's the only thing I think about. Yeah, and when when. When that elk starts bugling and you're like 40 yards away, you're going to be pissing your pants and trying to keep that arrow on the rest. It is amazing. There's nothing better than archery elk hunting. There's nothing. No. <laughs> I mean, well, there's a couple things better. Than, <laughs> but, but by yourself <laughs> with this animal, that's the best thing going, man. It's, a, it's amazing. Have you killed an elk with your bow yet? Oh, dude, it nope. is, it is, oh, unbelievable. I got a cow uh, back in December of 2018, just an opportunity hunt my way home um, and to fill the freezer, which was a pretty cool experience, but it's nothing you know, like what I'm expecting when the opportunity comes to hunt a bull. You know, the, the, one of the things that we've always said, or I've always said, is if you go elk hunting with a bow, even if you don't kill anything, you're going to have a better hunt than if you go with the rifle. Now, I love to rifle hunt. I love to. Why? Kill. I love to rifle hunt. Or no, why? What, no. Why, why do you? Why do you think you're going to have a better time with the bow? Because than you're if a you rifle? get, if you have any experiences with these animals, even if you don't sling an arrow. Mm-hmm. It's going to be better because it's going to be so much more. First of all, you're probably going to be hunting in the rut. You said you're going to go yeah. in September. So they're going to be rutting hard. If you can get into them, I drew a, a Montana tag. So I'm excited to get uh, out there with my bow. I'm hunting with an old buddy of mine. And uh, 
then we're going to, we're going to hunt together for a week and then we're going to bring some wounded warrior guys out there and, no, nice. uh, and hunt with those cats and, you know, do whatever we got to do to try to get them, uh, to kill a critter too. So yeah, it's just better experiences. The, the, the very, I, I can still tell you the very first time a bull came in when I had my bow, I, I had like a, a six black rifle coffee crap ready to go. <laughs> and we humped about three miles up this drainage. I was in Idaho out yeah. there by, uh, you know, where lead ore's at. Oh yeah. And get up in there. My buddy starts calling and this bull comes in and he's hot to try and I'm crowning, dude. I got to take a crap. <laughs> little, little turtle head poking out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm crowning, you know. And I didn't have Evan around to help me out. I know that we, we always I hear a lot of stories about him and, and Carl out there in the river. <laughs> yeah. in Idaho. And, uh, dude, that bull came in. And I, I just, I was a mess. I was shaking. And the bull was, he was 20, 25 yards away from me. He was blowing snot and he was bugling and it was going through my chest like an air horn. I didn't know what to do. I was stuck in the open. I'm like, good. There he is. He come running in. And, uh, of course he sees me and he's like, Whoa, what's that? Whoa. He does his, uh, he does yeah. his, his bark, you know, and when yeah. he does his bark, actually I just did one from a moose. So that doesn't make sense. But, uh, he did an elk bark and he was gone. And the first thing I did was run over, drop trout and crap. <laughs> and, then I was, and then I was like, my buddy goes, what happened? I go, dude, he was right there. I could have shot him, but you, you actually have to have an arrow on the rest. Had <laughs> an elk. So dude, you're going to have a blast. It's, it's going to be fun. I mean, the, the elk, elk hunting is just, ugh, it's amazing. You know, the elk, they haven't been quarantined either. Right. They've been doing a good job. They're still hanging out with each other and talking yeah. and violating that six foot BS and they're, <laughs> they're, they're still they're, acting like normal animals. Yeah, they're still acting like normal animals. How how is uh how is the the quarantine and when I say this, everybody asks that question, how's it affecting you? But really like what, what have, what have you done and what's, what's really changed in your life since this? Because you, you strike me as a guy that really outside of teaching your courses, this has not really affected your day to day family life all that much because you guys live in a fairly remote area. You yeah. spend a lot of time with your family. Are you still spending a lot of time with, you know, Lucas or is he, I, I, is I'm he, gonna- I'm going to tell you this, Devin, this is, this is one of the most positive things that's happened to me in the last five years. Really? Wow. Yeah. Because what it did was it was a reality check Yeah. because we get on that, that hamster wheel and you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Cause your little legs are running on that thing every day. And <laughs> yeah. Logan is right behind you and his legs are going and you're falling down and skinning your knees and jumping back up and getting right back on the hamster wheel. You don't even think you're like, Oh, I got to get back on this wheel. So when this thing started, um, we were actually, my wife, I I had been filming in, uh, North Carolina. You're Mm -hmm. familiar with Daniel Winkler. Oh yeah. So Daniel Winkler and I were doing some filming for a project. We, we have a new knife that we're launching with case for the hero series. That's it's going to be launched here pretty soon. So we're hold filming. on, we're going to have to bookmark that so we can come back to it. So you're okay. doing a product with K 
Case Knives, Daniel Winkler, and uh, VTAC? Not Is that VTAC, correct? Kyle Lamb, yeah. Kyle yeah, Lamb, yeah, okay, yeah. got it. So, um, which, I mean, it is really VTAC, but it's, this is got me, it. me doing this stuff. Right. So we filmed, we had a great time. I got to forge, I used a, a hammer, a hammer machine. I've never used one of those before. And I'm forging with Daniel Winkler, who is, I mean, he's like the top dude, not in the country, but in the world, you know? Yeah. Right. So we do that, jump in the truck. I head over and I shoot some guns with my buddy up there in, in uh, North Wilkesboro, Get up the next morning. I drive up to Virginia, link up with my wife. We're going to hang out with the kids a little bit there with our grandkids. And they say, oh, there's this coronavirus thing going. And, you know, we're thinking about shutting down the school. And we're going, what? And then the next day they said, yeah, my grandson's school is shut down. And we said, okay, roger that. So we took both grandkids and their new puppy and I had Trigger. You've met Trigger, my yeah. blue healer. She was with me on this road trip when we were filming and everything. She got to hang out at and forge. She's over here laying down on a bear having a dream right now. She's chasing chickens or something. Um, so we loaded up the grandkids the next morning, and I had my grandson in my truck, and Melinda had our granddaughter in the other truck. We each had a dog, and we headed to Tennessee. Got back and things started falling off real quick. You know, people telling us, "Oh, we're canceling this, we're canceling that." Right. And and I I would like to say postpone, but it's not because if if you got a VTAC class on the schedule and you cancel it, guess what? It's gone because we're right. already booked up. It, if you want to reschedule, we'll do that next year or whatever. But right. I come home and I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do? I got I got grandkids and a forge. I've been. You know, I've been yeah. firing up this forge a little bit yeah. and dude, it's, let me tell you this. I can survive without traveling Yeah, and I'm much happier. I'm much healthier. I'm eating better because my wife is cooking, you know, chow right. every day. She's cooking two or three meals a day here. It's uh, Lucas works in the warehouse. So I see Lucas every day, man. Um, he and I have been hanging out more. We're forging and doing that. So yeah. my daughter then ends up coming. She works for the government. So she ends up coming out here for a couple of weeks with her husband. So we hang out and it's just been amazing. My grandson's been shooting his BB gun and <laughs> I would rather do that than shoot me shoot. I mean, it's fun yeah. to hang out with him and, and do that. So I think it's been, it's been more positive than negative. And what I've tried to do, and we started to talk about this, I guess, in the little pre pre-talk there, but I've been trying to not watch the news because yeah. all it does is piss you off. And yeah. and let, then I'm letting everybody kind of distill this down until they've worked out what's fake and what's real. And then once we find out what's real, I've got guys that tell me, well, here's what's going on. Okay. I'll listen to you, but that takes two minutes and I don't have to listen to any other news. I mean, I, I don't watch TV. Yeah. So and now that I'm forging, dude, there's so many awesome videos out there to watch of people forging and learning different techniques. And and guys that forge are a little bit different than the tactical community. Tactical community, there's a lot of people that are always dick measuring and pissing in corners trying to mark their territory. In yeah. forging, it's not like that. Dudes are like, oh, here's what I'm doing. I'll show you exactly what I'm doing. Really? Yeah, you, just, you just sent me that photo of that hammer. That yeah, that thing did. is it's awesome. epic, man. It's so yeah, epic. Yeah. We'll get we'll get Dave to throw the photo of that for the for the video on YouTube. But you know, I'm assuming you're making all of that yourself. What 
Yeah. What setup do you have right now? Okay, so first of all, you've heard of Grinder Switch Railroad. Grinder yeah. Switch Railroad always running on time. You know, Charlie Daniels. Yeah. Have you ever yeah, heard yeah. of him? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Logan yeah. hasn't. He probably, <laughs> yeah, Logan. He, he's a famous country guy. He wrote Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yeah, I've heard of him once or twice. Yeah. So Grinder Switch Railroad runs through our property. So Lucas and I, <clears throat> we went down there to film. We we're making a little film for, uh, Stay in the Fight Foundation, which is a new 501c3 that Melinda and I started to help out people, not just mm-hmm. veterans, but human beings, you know. Right. So we're making a little film down there. We're walking along. We'd get, get done. And I said, man, we need to find some railroad spikes down here because we need to hammer some out. And not into knives. I'm not really into the whole railroad spike into a knife. That's cool, but I want to do something different. I'm thinking yeah. I can make some cool gun hooks to hang stuff off the mantle or whatever. Right. And we see this big inch and three quarter piece of, of solid bar stock and they use it as a stringer, like to connect the tracks together. And I don't really know what it does, but all I know is that this one was from the previous railroad and they had just thrown this crap down in the ditch. Well, the ditches are our property. So it's not like right. I'm stealing from the railroad. They throw this stuff out of the ditch and I walk down and I go, check this out. Lucas goes, yeah, I found that. I used that in some pictures for kind of a rustic look. And I said, huh, I pick it up. This thing's like six foot long or whatever. And we towed it back to his truck and he brings some railroad, uh, um, railroad spikes back. And we also bring this piece of metal. So I, I started doing some math to figure out how much I would need to cut of that yeah, to make two pounds, a pound and a half, a pound and so on. And I ended up cutting out a two, a two pound piece and I made my first hammer that hammer. I sent you a picture of that's the first hammer I ever yeah. made. Um, and I did that with my, my son-in-law and I, we beat that thing into submission. And then I made that handle out of ash. And then my wife took it and she burned it. She started it on fire because that's what Melinda does. <laughs> on fire. And, uh, you know, I was thinking when you were here, we had that bread pudding. You remember that? Yeah, that stuff was great. And she hasn't made that. I'm going to tell her we got to, she needs to make like, make a, a big batch of that today because it's oh unbelievable. So we, she burned this handle and then she scraped it. We, we worked on this together. She scraped it down with a, a, a bronze brush or a, a brass brush. And then while it's still smoking, she puts beeswax on it, which I mean, anything made with beeswax is cool. So right. she puts beeswax on there and it sucks the, the ashes and open grain wood. So it sucks this beeswax in there. And then she takes it and she sprays it with a, a sealer. And then we let that dry. <laughs> and then she took uh, that cream filler stuff. That, that's what gave it that. It's <coughs> sterling silver cream filler. So she wiped that all on there and that goes into the open pores and she then she wipes it all off until it had that look that you saw. And then she took it and she coated it again with that spray sealer and then lacquer. And it's beautiful. I mean, yeah, it, it is beautiful. It's, it's like a piece of art. The handle is, and the the normally you say the head looks better than the handle, but that handle actually is amazing. So she's got um, she's got like six of those she's working on right now for me. I did a I've been forging my balls off, dude. That's awesome. So. Uh, I've got a bunch of, of tomahawk heads, another uh, another head I did for a hammer, and she's doing all the handles for me. 
Right. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. So the forging kit I've got, I've got an anvil. I've actually got two anvils, one old one I haven't used yet. And then I've got a new one. I've got a forge, a chili forge. Uh, I think it's called a habanero or something like that. It's one of their two burner forges. I've got, you don't need anything. How really. big is that? Oh, how big, how big is it? It's probably uh 16 inches long, maybe a little bit, maybe 24 inches long by probably 12 inches high. And it's, Oh, so it's not that big. No, no. It's just a double gas, a double burner. So I've got, um, there's two, uh, things, nozzles that come out of the top. Right. Those go down to the propane tank and that's it. So we're, we're actually wow. building a forge right now, a new building that's yeah. going to have a workshop on both sides. One for Melinda, one for me, mine'll be the dirty side and hers will be the, the side for doing leather work and sewing and wood, right. you know, clean wood stuff. All the dirty stuff will take place on my side. And we built a big overhang on that. So it's, uh, I'll be able to have a forge and have it, keep it set up like that. Cause that's one of the troubles now is this is really dirty stuff to do. So I right. pull this stuff out of the barn. You've seen my big brown barn. Yeah. We pull everything out of there. Uh, Wilmot grinders. That's who I got my grinder from. And that dude was in the unit. So seriously, yeah, yeah. So, um, Chris Williams was one of our TSE guys. He made all of like our surveillance equipment, right? This guy is, is, I'd like to say he's one of the most, the, one of the, the smartest dudes that I know, but he's at least in the top two. Right. So Mike Hawkins, Chris Williams, they give each other a run for the money. So he, he started gunsmithing and then he decided to to get into making knives. And then he said, I can't find a grinder that I like. So he started making grinders. And now he sells thousands of these grinders. They're, they're just amazing. It's a two inch by 72 inch belt grinder. They're amazing. Right. And that dude's a, a veteran, man. He's crushing it. I mean, he's absolutely crushing it. Is he still so, in North Carolina? Yeah. Yeah. He's right there at Fort Bragg. Um, okay. He used to run a company called uh, blind hog, Custom what was that? Oh, custom yeah, gunsmithing. Yeah. He built my guns for me, my pistols for when I was competing. And he did a spectacular job, but he's like, yeah, guns, people, they send you their guns and then they want them back in like a certain amount of time. <laughs> and he's like, I can't take the stress. So he started making knives and I've actually adopted his mindset on this forging because I've had a lot of people already you know we've they've seen pictures of some of the stuff i've done they're like hey can you make me and i'm like initially i told this cop yeah i can make that what do you you know what are you thinking and then i went oh why did i do that this isn't fun anymore right yeah so i called him up and he goes no you know we found another guy he's got something like okay good good Whew, okay stress is off and then he calls me back a day later he goes you know that guy didn't have any in stock, so I want to I want to get that one from you. And I go, oh man, too late. I already learned a lesson from some cops that ordered one, and I told him that I'd make one, and, and I don't do that anymore. And he's like, oh, well, wait a minute, that's me. And I go, yeah, no kidding, bro. So now what I'm doing is these will eventually will be sold, and and all the proceeds are going to go to uh, the Stay in the Fight Foundation, right? One hundred percent of the proceeds. So, um. I actually have a friend of mine that has said he will buy the first one. There's this guy named Fred Eichler. You, you may have heard of him. Yep. He's kind of a big deal in the archery. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal in the archery world. He yeah. called me. He goes, bro. He goes, I thought you were full of crap. And then I saw one of these pictures and he goes, I'm buying the first one. And I told him, okay, here's the deal. So I'm going to get all of these ready, send him all the photos and let him pick what he wants. 
and then uh, we'll put some out there for other people if they want to if they want to buy one to to for the money to go to this Stay in the Fight Foundation. Um, and we've been able so, to help several people so far, so it's been kind of cool. So I'm curious to to hear it from you uh, exactly why you like forging so much. Like, what is it about working with metal and your hands as you go through it that really does it for you? You know, I'm going to tell you, Logan, um, it's not all about working with my hands. It's it's more the, to me, it's the, I don't want to get all artistic or autistic, whichever one it is, but... (laughs) To me, it's about looking at that piece of metal and seeing what you can make out of it. And somehow I've been able to do that. I just made a spontoon. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. So a spontoon is when you take a, a, it's like a tomahawk head, but it's got an arrow on one side or a, like mm. a, a, a point on one side. Right. And it's kind of funny. I ha- I just worked on that. I took two pounds of that piece of metal that I found and I, I, started I Melinda looked at a picture she goes I said which one do you want me to make and she picked one hammer and she picked one axe head and she picked the one that had the arrowhead so I said Roger that and I went out there and I beat this thing and beat on it beat on it and then I was talking to my buddy who happens to be an Indian like a featherware in India not a dotware in Indian and uh true half breed Native American cat from up in Michigan where I learned that they're not allowed to buy seeds for their garden right now because of the Democratic governor, yeah. douchebag wow. S. Um, yeah. So this dude, he's a former military guy. He just retired, and his name is Sean Menard. Awesome, awesome cat. He goes, well, when you get to forging, I need you to make me one of these spontoons. And I'm like, bro. And I sent him a picture of that, and he, he's like, you got to be kidding me. And I said, yeah, man, it must be meant for you because I already made this thing. And now I talk to my Indian bro and that's what, you know, that's what he wants. Anyway, so back to your question, Logan, when what I, the very first time I forged was with my son and I'm standing there staring into this forge, looking at this piece of metal. And all I'm thinking about is that piece of metal and it being the right color. And at the time I didn't even know what the right color was. And I probably still don't know, but I'm, I'm getting better. And the only thing on my mind was staring at that piece of metal. There, there was nothing, <clears throat> and I was thinking of what I was going to do with that metal when I got it out of there, but I catch myself now, same thing. If, if I'm looking into that forge and I'm just, my mind is completely clear. Mm. And uh, most things that I do, my mind is not clear, whether I'm writing or I'm doing a class or you know, doing other stuff. My mind is, is, is just all over the map. So it's almost meditative for you in a way. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, you, you can spend hours sweating and hammering and doing this and you have no idea time. There's, there's no, I have no concept of time when I'm doing this. And this is just one of the things that I do. I also shoot on my own, which the same thing happens when I'm working on something. Uh, when I'm go hunting, I have no idea. And one of the things for this quarantine that I've really liked. I know that today is Wednesday and I know that only because I received an email from you that said I had to be on this podcast (laughs) on Wednesday. So I was like, Oh crap. When is Wednesday? Oh, okay. This is, that's when this is. I have no, I'm telling you, dude, the quarantine has changed my life and I'm going to 
maintain it. Um, some of my buddies have said I was originally, I was a social distancer anyway. Right. Really, I kind of am. I mean, I teach classes and do that, but I've always kind of kept my distance from, I'm not like a big crowd person or anything like that. I love people. I still want them to get real close to me because then they can hit you or, you know, shoot you or whatever. But, uh, I try, I've always been kind of that, that way, but now it's, uh, now it's legal and it's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I don't agree with what our country is doing, but, uh, man, we, uh, we're going to see some interesting things happen. I think once the quarantine is lifted, I think, first of all, our court systems are going to be tied up for the next two years. <laughs> yeah. Dealing with uh, the violation of our constitution. And I hope, I really hope we let a whole bunch of bad guys that have been rolled up and have not had uh, speedy trials or uh, due process. I hope they let them go too, because it's we're, we're violating everybody's rights, our rights, their rights. Um, it's crazy. And I don't want to be negative, but it's, this is a little bit, this is weird. Yeah, I would agree. I think from my perspective, it's, it's really hard. I think we were talking about it before this, which is, you know, chopping through the white noise and trying to figure out what's, what's fact, what's fiction, what type of information you can take in and, and, and truly make informed decisions for yourself, your family, your business, your community. Um, there's just a lot of uh, one negativity out there, which I'm I'm trying to do my best to just tune out, just all together tune out of the news. Uh, I'm like you. I've got a few friends that I talk to that are fairly well well connected and dialed in on that end and. Then I don't. I, I don't even have to listen to anything else, right? I'm not tuning into a wide variety of podcasts or even even information on it. I I understand it in principle, and I understand how to avoid the circumstances where I might put myself in, or the you know my family or my company in harm's way, and that's like just in harm's way in general, right? It could be from the COVID virus, or it could be from the government, you know, we, we applied for a, a good example of that it would, you know, we applied for the, the, the government funding and we decided, yeah, we're not going to take it. And I just didn't want one, we are approved for it, but two, I don't, I don't trust what the fucking post effects of this are going to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the dirty, political games that that people are going to play the leverage the g is going to have if you do take you know portions of the funding and the in the the g is so effed up right now like i I, every one of these guys is concentrated on the wrong thing it seems like you can't make heads or tails there's a few good guys you know I, i i i obviously I think you know who Dan Crenshaw is. You oh, know, yeah. I talked to Dan yeah. quite a bit. And, man, even him. I was talking to him the other day, and he unloaded for 10 minutes on just the corrupt, negative, misinformed, ignorant, selfish, ego-driven shit that he has to deal with in that, in that you know, foggy bottom swamp. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and it's, you know, the thing is, it's always... Um, they've always tried to do that. I think that we're letting yeah. them do it now because back when, when Alexander Hamilton was trying to get the Federalist movement going and they got it moving pretty good, 
you know, their plan was, well, we're going to pick the people who are aristocrats because they're, they're, they're smart people. Yeah. And they know what's best. So, of course, we're going to pick the Tidewater aristocrats. Right. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about with the Tidewater versus the, the Piedmont yeah. folks in Virginia there. So yeah. We're going we're gonna to pick them. We're going to put them in there. And then they're just going to stay because these people are aristocrats. And if you people out there don't know what that means, it means like the bro with the money who's in charge. And I'm going to tell you, that's, that didn't fly. We, we said no, bro. And Aaron Burr went so far as to kill Alexander Hamilton, which I don't know, it's probably a good call, but, um, I shouldn't say that because I don't know Alexander Hamilton. I just know the, the play and the play is kind of, there's nothing historically correct about the play. <laughs> yeah. um, the play is you awesome. Don't say. I, we went yeah. to that. Melinda and I went Did you really? before, before it was famous, before they started dissing the Americans. Right. And, uh, I was like, wow, I had no idea that was part of history. Oh, it's not. I mean, it's nothing that had nothing to do with history. So, um, we, we banished the federal federalists then. And that's when the Republican party and a different Republican party than we see today. But that's when that really got up and, and kicking and going there with, with Thomas Jefferson and, um, Madison Monroe, you know, these guys were, different than the other side, even though Madison had been, you know, Madison helped write the Federalist Papers. And then he's like, whoa, right. you know, I'm on second thought, I think that might not be right. And, uh, and, and we've went that way. And now we're trying to circle back where big government, the, the administrative side of, of the government has started to run things. And how can we have unelected officials I mean, elected officials, I understand how they have the capability to make laws, but we have the CDC, FDA. Yeah. Um, oh, my favorite is the, uh, oh, the, oh, what do you call them? The uh, EPA. Right. The, none of those guys should be able to make laws. And now during this time, your buddies over there at NSSF, they've been busy because... Yeah. What's happening? You've got some bureaucrat, you know, and if, if you don't know what a bureaucrat is, it's somebody that sits around and makes laws and has no right to do it, really. Right. They, um, they've enacted laws to shut down gun ranges and to shut down facilities that are selling guns, and they have no right to do that. So then when the NSSF right. gets involved, they go to the, 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 the people that actually can make decisions and go, hey, by the way, did you know that Joe Schmedlap over there is making these decisions and they go, Whoa, Whoa, wait a minute. We never said that. And they go, okay, Roger that tear that piece of paper up. No gun shops can stay open or whatever. Have you, have you been read into what happened in, in Colorado with the whole writing a brief to shut down Bighorn um, gun shop? No, I haven't, I haven't heard anything about it. Tell us about it. So now this is, this is the Kyle Lamb version. Sure. It's embellished for your listening pleasure. All right. (laughs) So there's these, these, we'll call them chaps. That's that way the Brits like this too. So there's these three chaps that run this gun company, Bighorn Guns or something like that. I know exactly those guys. I know who their company is. Okay. So you Mm -hmm. know them. I don't know them. I may have Mm -hmm. met them, but I I don't know them off the top of my head. So the government says, you got to shut down. And they go negative. They look at their their buddies that are partners in this business and they go, no, bro, we're not doing that. Roger that. So they tell the government, Hey, hug a nut. 
So the government goes, we don't understand what hug a nut means, but you're going to shut down. And they go, negative, we're not. So they get a lawyer. They go to a judge, and the judge says, we got to write a brief. So their, ju- their lawyer writes a brief and says, we're essential. People have to protect themselves. Second Amendment is part of the Constitution. We need to be strong on this. And the judge right. goes, roger that. Okay, government, write your brief. And the government, now my understanding this is the Denver uh, city government. It's nothing right. to do with Colorado, so whatever. Yeah. So they write a brief and they go, well, you can't be open because you only sell guns. Now, if you were like this company located at, you know, 1325 Maple Street that sold other stuff and guns. Right. Then we'd let you stay open, but you can't be open because all you sell is guns. That's stupid, right? So what does the judge say? He goes, yeah, government, eh, bighorn <laughs> guns, you can stay open. Roger that. So they continue to sell guns and everybody's happy. Two or three days later, guess where they're at? 1325 Maple Street, which I'm just making up that address. Yeah. I don't know what the address is. Right. Yeah. They go to 1325 Maple Street. They walk into the Bass Pro place and they go, you got 15 minutes to vacate this premises. Right. Well, guess what Bass Pro did? They vacated the premises. And then our government put chains through the handles of their door. Right. Think about that. Just think about what's happening there, bro. They put chains. It wasn't like leave and we'll trust right. you. They put chains through the, through the front handles of their door. Wow. And they said, well, we would have let you stay open except for you sell stuff other than guns. This is the same area. This is No, this is the same government. This is the same group of people that went to Bighorn Guns, and then they wrote a brief, a legal brief that said, if you sold other stuff like 1325 Maple Street or whatever street I said earlier, and then they went to that actual address to Bass Pro Shop and then shut them down. Dude, here's a here's a problem. the The rule should be this: if you're gonna be a uh, if you're gonna be a politician, you should have actually had a job, right? And ran a business, and that business mm-hmm. could be that you're a farmer or a rancher, or you run a, a company that sells T-shirts and coffee, or you sell slings for gun, whatever. But you've had a right. business where you know what it's like, and and dealing with the government how bad that can be. So, you know, the positive note about this whole thing is that Bighorn Gun stayed open. Right. NSSF was there trying to help those guys, and they've helped other people along the way too. The bad thing is Bass Pro Shop, and I understand why they did it. They probably didn't want to make a big thing in the news, but I hope that Bass Pro burns them down. I hope they burn Denver, Colorado to the ground and they can go make more money because until it's legal to smoke pot there, you can, right. those places are still open. We still got liquor stores right. open, but you can't go buy guns. Give me a freaking break, man. Oh wait. And if you carry a Bible, that's illegal too, because everybody knows that it's bad to go to church. So we're going to close down the, the places of worship too. Well, I think that's the thing that frustrates me with it is there's no, it, it seems so subjective and the local municipalities have been able to interpret and then put their individual and personal spin on that interpretation. 
So the inconsistency, and, and trust me when I say this, I am a state's rights guy. Like I am a true dyed-in-the-wool conservative when it comes to individual rights and states' rights. I think that decisions should be passed down to the, the lowest common denominator most of the time, and if you're not affecting someone else in a negative way, brother, it's on you. And I think that that's a double-edged sword for conservatives because conservatives, when they ask for the federal government to intervene in local decision-making, especially when it's policy, what they're asking is federal authority to, to essentially trump the local municipality, and they're, they're contradicting conservative values at, at some points, right? I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword when you continue to go back to the Fed and ask these decisions to be passed up to the Fed and ask the Fed to intervene. And when I say that, I understand where there has to be consistency, and I think that's where the Fed can be more effective in passing down clear and consistent measures that the local governments have to adhere to, and then reinforcing policy, especially when it comes to the, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. You, you have to have the ability, it, it just because there's a pandemic going on doesn't mean that we just kind of scrap this piece of paper that established the country. That's not, that, that's, that, that's not even, it's not legal, it's not ethically correct, there's, there's, there's nothing right in, in, the, in that course of action. But I do find myself at odds at times with conservatives because I'm like, hey, man, y- y- you live in a, in, a, in a hardcore blue socialist city. And are you surprised? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Is this a surprise? I get it. But, you know, I, I, you live in this hardcore socialist like San Francisco or Denver or some of these other places. And I've had this conversation with them. I'm like, be careful with asking the Fed for them to intervene on your local municipalities all the time when it comes to specific regulations because there's going to be a time. And we saw this. I mean, I think it's fairly popular right now. There's a, there's a, uh, you know, with, with, we've seen the Fed intervene and we've seen the Fed intervene on, on a wide variety of issues where we're like, we, this needs to be a local, local issue, local issue. So my point didn't really make much sense other than... <laughs> no, it does. I mean, it does. We don't want mob rule either. So we've got to walk, no. that, we've got to walk that line. Um, one of the, the biggest problems that I've seen is that the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And what, yeah. what needs to happen is the, the law-abiding citizen needs to stand up and be that squeaky wheel. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. Local law enforcement have got their hands full. And yeah. And who who's against local law enforcement? It's not the three of us. I can tell you that right mm. now, because if an officer no. pulls me over, I'm like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever. Yeah. But when it's the squeaky wheel and they're whining about how law enforcement acts, I get it. There's some law enforcement people out there that probably shouldn't be in that position. But by and large, they're really, really good people that are out there facing things that you and I don't want to face. Um. So we need to support them. And, and in supporting them, we need to stand up for them. And when they right. start to come after these cops, we need to say, negative, that dude's my neighbor and he's a good guy or she's a good gal. I'm going to protect them because 
you don't know what they're going through. You, you, you go out there and, and deal with what they deal with for one day and you would freak out. Not you, yeah. but they, you know, little Susie Chapstick, AOC or EIEIO you want or whatever their names right. are up there. They're clueless, man. They're so, so clueless. And thank goodness at this time, um, we had a president that is actually standing up, you know, some for our rights and, and, and actually putting out some data that I think has saved some lives. Um, you know, the hydroxyquine, that whole deal, I think that's right. been a good thing. And it's not the, the stuff that you put in your fish tank, like that lady that killed her husband. <laughs> Like and you shouldn't it's ingest a, Lysol. That's such a that's such a stretch to to begin with. Like I, I, whoever, however you land, you know, center left, center right, far right, far left, whatever. I, I doubt there's any far left people listening to this. But at the end of the day, it's such a stretch to blame the 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 president for some people ingesting fish tank cleaner yeah. and for well, and for me and for news outlets to even yeah. to even put that in a story is so blatantly absurd yeah, and yeah. to to <laughs> to sensationalize a statement and say the president is partially responsible for the the death of these people because they ingested fish tank cleaner yeah like what type of moron and when i say that i'm like guys yeah we really have to kind of take this into consideration and say if a person is willing to ingest something that is meant to clean their fish tank do they do we really think that their brains were were operating in a coherent manner and you're going to blame that on the president and out of 350 million people for one person to interpret this statistically i think we're doing okay yeah, I think we're doing think, okay. You know, people are trying to blame him for the economy and for this. Yeah. It's like, are you are you kidding me? I mean, if that's the case, then I think we got a good case for for lynching, you know, a few people up in New York because they got more people dying because they won't listen to what he says. So there you go. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's ridiculous. But on the it, positive side, <laughs> there's there's a lot of good things we can do during this time. I mean, like, like we talked about earlier, spend time with your family. Yeah. Dude, it's amazing. I mean, I've been able to spend more time with my kids and my grandkids than I've spent in a long, long time with them. And it's been very, very positive. Now I'm going to tell you, sometimes they drive you freaking crazy, but yeah. you can go out and shoot your bow or forge a tomahawk or, I mean, do just do, do something outside, you know? That, I, I've spent more time outside, and I think Logan has too. I mean, Logan went on essentially vacation for the first <laughs> yeah, couple weeks, and we, I think we've just really tried, and I've tried very hard, which you know, leads me into my, uh, my other piece of this, which is I've tried re- really hard just to say, listen, this is a really shitty situation for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people were furloughed. A lot of people lost a ton of money in the stock market. There, there's, this is really shitty. And there are people losing their lives because of a global pandemic. It's not just in America. It's overseas. This is a horrible situation that is extremely complex. Guess what? It doesn't get better if you continue to drill into the negative aspects of it. Yeah. It doesn't get better. And I was talking to my wife early on about this where, you know, she was... 
very, very concerned. And I was like, why, why are we concerned? Like this doesn't affect our lives right now. You're, you, you, you can't imagine what the boogeyman is going to do. You have to deal with reality, right? You have to take the steps that mitigate your exposure and our children's exposure, our company's exposure to the, to the virus. You, once you protect yourself against that, it's daily life, man. It is what it is. You turn your frown upside down, you go to work. And the other thing is, is we have two little kids. So when I, I don't want my two little kids to look back on this and think, you know, my father and my mother were so stressed out and they were watching the news and they were glued to the television and, you know, they kept inside. It's like, no, man, we've been outside every day. My kids are catching lizards. Their feet are filthy all day long because awesome. they're running yeah. around. We've they're, been catching we, fish, smallmouth fishing. See? Yeah, yeah. We've been we've been bass fishing, and we've been you know what, what, my three year old's been learning how to do her her pedal bike. I got my my wife's had a bow for a couple of years, but I got her a new traditional bow. You know, at the start of this, it wasn't a massive investment. You know, it was 90 bucks for a new bow and three arrows and, you know, a bunch of foam targets that we've had forever. I've been flipping the kettlebell around that I've had since 2006. I'm not breaking the bank, you know, creating a luxury lifestyle for myself. I bought a $90 bow and a kettlebell that I'm flipping around on our, on our content facility, but I'm spending a ton of time with my kids. And guess what? When I walk in the door, there's no talk of COVID. There's no talk of, you know, the negative aspects of what's going on. It's like, kids, what do you want to do today? Because you don't have school. You know, there's no school. Are you kidding me? I've been waiting for this opportunity for years. <laughs> yeah. I don't want my kids to go to public school. I haven't wanted it since we, 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 we yeah, yeah. put my kid into public school. And now my wife's like... My, my daughter's reading at a third grade level. She's doing math probably at a third or fourth grade level at this point. See, that's we work cool. with her Is, two hours a day. Yeah, I, I, I could, we could hang out now because I can read at the same level. Yeah, she's doing math better than I can right now. No, it's, been, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it's all a state of mind. And even I, I do, the, the only people I feel bad for are two, two groups. Those that catch this and it kills them. Yeah. Yep. And those that have lost their jobs, man, that's just terrible that, that that's happened. And we just, we got to get back on our feet and, and get rolling here. I hope that we take a lesson from this, that, um, Bill Gates is a douchebag. And, and then also that, um, we need to get some of this out of China, you know, and we right. deal with companies that, that are almost exclusively bringing their product from China and, what do we need to do to get them to change their mind and, and go somewhere else and do that? Or, um, I don't know. But we started this, uh, yeah, you know, and, and I don't know, you and I have talked about it before, but we started company internally shifting away from overseas manufacturing two plus years ago. Yeah, I don't like overseas manufacturing. I don't like quality control from over the phone and over a computer. I don't like, and it's not that, you know, it's xenophobia. It's like, I want to employ Americans. Guess what? Because they're my community. They're part of my family. You know, they're, they're on the same team. We're all paying taxes and building yeah. roads and building infrastructure together. I, I want to do that. Like I, I, I would prefer to pay a higher price 
for an American-made product at the same standard, I would prefer that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I actually take extreme issue that with people that say, well... Well, that's, you know, xenophobia, or you guys are nationalists, or be nationalists. Like, is there something wrong? Last time I checked, I'm an American. I've chosen at this point, you know, I'm 43 years old. I've repeatedly volunteered to be an American. (laughs) I could have had other options out there. I want to live here because this is a great place to live. I love this country. (laughs) So why wouldn't I want to support it? Yeah, and what would happen if, so let's say instead of having... 40 pairs of pants and 300 t-shirts and all this crap. If you had like four or five pairs of pants and, you know, 15 black rifle coffee t-shirts and four VTAC t-shirts. And I, and I can't say that our t-shirts are made in America, but they're printed in America. Um, And then you could have American made stuff and have stuff that's nice. Okay, it costs a little bit more, but we I think we could bring that back. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I something think we can. I'm gonna say something controversial here because I wanna get yeah. I wanna get your opinion on this. Yeah. Do you put Chinese manufacturing and made in Mexico in the same breath? In the same like, uh, breath? Do you, do you put them in the same category? Because no, I don't. Because I feel like I don't either. made in Mexico, they're our neighbor. Yeah, and I think we can help. We if we can give them some jobs. I, I guess it's, it's to me. It's not. It's not just about making stuff outside of America. It's about making stuff in China. Mm-hmm. There's other places I think that we can have stuff made. Um, Canada. I mean, I'm sure they make something. I don't know what they make. Maple syrup, Maple syrup and yeah, yeah. you know moose moose stuff, you know stuff for your pet moose. I don't know. No, I, I so I love this conversation, Kyle, because this is the way that I think about it. Especially because we import uh, so much coffee from uh, South America and in Mexico. And when I've been, you know, when Logan and I were in Guatemala recently, we were talking about this as a national security issue, which is buying things from Mexico is a good thing. Creating jobs in South America, it, what that does is it is it helps decrease illegal immigration because it provides opportunity for employment and economic mobility through not only Mexico, but other uh, South America, South American countries. So I think it is, it's our responsibility as Americans to not only support American jobs, but if we can support things that are happening within our hemisphere, we're actually directly contributing to the, the, to decreasing illegal immigration. And that also directly contributes to decreasing our tax liability because we're not spending you know, billions of dollars on the border, you know, clearing people and shipping them back. And I, I, I think if you're concerned with what's happening on the Southern border, you should be concerned with what's happening in the, the Southern hemisphere economy. I, I really do. I think that it is our, it is directly our responsibilities to say, if we can't manufacture it in the United States, where's the next place I need to be manufacturing. And I'd say, Absolutely. Let's keep it in this hemisphere because it directly contributes to the, the success of the country. Well, I still hope we get some stuff rolling back in the U.S. And um, God, man, I just it, there's there's so many good people and we can we can make it happen here. People are looking for jobs. Well, then 
you know, in, in our town alone, I, you know where I live. I live in little, little, little old America here. And when you drive to my house, you drive by the Levi's factory that's closed. Yeah. You drive by the YKK factory that's closed. Yeah. You know, you came to Manchester and opened up your facility. That's awesome. And we could do more of that. Um, uh, my buddy Z-Man, so El Zitta is, is uh, opening Schumann Barrels here in Centerville. So oh, really? He's, he's about up and running here shortly. So Schumann Barrels are now going to be made within five miles of where I live. So that's going to be cool, you know, and I think yeah. there's more places like that that we can uh, – there's more Americans that can, can do that kind of stuff. And even, even if, uh, if it's something that, that causes you to have to, to hire folks, you know, Kentucky, they had a, a sew shop that was about to be closed. My buddy went in there, bought the sew shop, and they're now making protective gear, uh, wow. masks as well as gowns and things like that. They're making it with – the Tyvek, like you would wrap your house with, that's the kind of material. There's another company that makes that stuff in Mississippi or Arkansas or something. So he's, he started out, he needed like 10,000 of these suits and he's sold several hundred thousand of them now, um, made in America, made in Kentucky by Americans. And if you get offended by that, then sorry, man, go wherever you, whatever hole you crawled out of. But if the, the hole has an address that says United States of America, you shouldn't be offended that we're trying to employ your neighbors. When you crawl out of your friggin' hole, look left and look right, pull on your skinny jeans, and, and, <laughs> and you're going to see that there's Americans going to work here. That's not a bad thing. So I don't know. I don't know how we get by with, I mean, I got an iPhone. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's a happy, I think there's a happy state where, you know, it is a national security issue, I think, to incorporate and empower more American manufacturing. I absolutely, I cannot agree with that statement more. But I also am not completely disagreeing with, you know, canceling all overseas manufacturing. And, you know, I definitely don't think that we should be encouraging and, and incentivizing trade agreements across the board and increasing manufacturing with states that directly spread negative and if not only negative, but false negative propaganda against the United States to, within their country. I think there should be a direct economic consequence to that. If you're spreading negative anti-American propaganda within your country, I don't think we should be doing business with them, period. Yeah, yep. Like that should be yep. an instant, you're done, we don't do business with you anymore, we can go to diplomatic channels if you want. But I, I, I don't think we should be lining the pockets of a country that spreads negative information, false negative information, like American you know, service members planted the virus within, yeah. you know, Wuhan. I, 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 I just wish we, we could be more proactive and substantive against taking very aggressive measures towards information like that. Because you and I know the Chinese spread so much anti-American propaganda Dude, within their country. Our government spreads so much anti-American propaganda. Yeah, we, you're we right. should shut down portions of our government. I mean, really, right. it's the same thing. 
Nancy Pelosi, I mean, I saw she's got plenty of ice cream, but it's uh, that was very expensive ice cream, oh, by dude, the way, I, on, a, on a $25,000 refrigerator. Oh, hey, go into quarantine. Don't worry about it on your thirty or $50,000, half a million dollar kitchen in fucking California. I'm, I'm so happy for these politicians that they're just so lucky and fortunate to have jobs that pay them millions of dollars a year. Oh, that's right. They don't. I, yeah. What was that statement? What was that statement? It, it was uh, um, Truman that said, he said, if you get wealthy in politics, that means you're corrupt or something like that, right? He yeah. had a statement like, there's no way to get wealthy in politics unless you're corrupt. That's not, it's just not a possibility. So have you ever read anything that Admiral Stockdale wrote? No, I don't think so. Dude. Can I frequency hop yeah, a little please. bit? So yes, there's please a book do. called the uh, Philosophical Thoughts or something discussions of a fighter pilot by Jim Stockdale, Admiral Stockdale. You right. know who he was, and if you listeners yep. don't, he was a prisoner of war in Hanoi for like seven and a half years. He also yep. was a participant uh, on the several of the first missions that we conducted. One is the the Tonkin Gulf of Tonkin resolution yeah. thing, which was a yeah. bunch of BS that McNamara yep. and uh, LBJ spun up so that we could get involved yeah. in Vietnam. So it was a lie to begin with. It was a lie. Yeah. yeah. That book, if you haven't, I got that from a, a guy that I was on the ground with in Somalia. One of the young Rangers, he was a, well, I was young then too. He was a Lieutenant guy named uh, Perino. And he and I have, have, become good friends here in the last couple years. And, uh, he retired from the military and we were talking one day, he goes, I got to send you this book. And he sent me this philosophical thoughts from what I'm thinking, dude, what is he trying to tell me here? So the other day I cracked into this book. I haven't taken this many notes from a book that I've read in a while and it's, it's well worth reading, but he, a lot of the things that we're talking about right now, he was dealing with as a prisoner of war um, with our government, you know, kind of letting him flounder there. And uh, anyway, it's worth, it's worth checking out because I think you'll, you'll see some, some thoughts that were going on then for him while he was, I think he was in solitary confinement for four years. That is a long time. Wow. Now, so most of that, at least two or two and a half years of that, I believe he was in leg irons. Jeez. So think about sitting in a concrete yeah. floor in leg irons for two weeks. For years. Well, for two weeks. Right. And now make that for four years. The guy, and he, he was uh, trained as a philosopher before he went in there. And, wow. uh, you know, he received the Medal of Honor for his actions yeah. on the ground there, too. So um, anyway. I read that. There's Wait. another book, too, that you ought to read, The Storm Before the Calm, which is a George Friedman book that just came out. Yeah, yeah. I Actually, I've, I've got that in my reading list. Somebody else recommended that to Dude. me. I think it was George Peterson. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, Matt Busella, my buddy, we just put out a podcast here a couple days ago about the Battle of Shiloh. And my buddy, mm -hmm. Matt Busella, who's a cop down in Florida, he helped me with Leadership in the Shadows. We, we uh, were talking. He goes, I got this book, and I read it. And then I, as soon as I finished reading it, I read it again, and I'm like, you're an idiot. 
<laughs> you're stupid. If you read it once and you turn around and you read it right away again, there, there's something wrong with you. I read you, that. Book. You're going to have to unpack leadership in the shadows for us. Like, give us our, your your three minutes on leadership in the shadows because that's well. I, I, if the listeners don't know about it, I think they 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 absolutely need well, to go check out Kyle's books. I, I want to finish my thought because I don't want people to think okay. Matt is a weirdo. Right. When I finished that book, I wanted to turn around and reread it again. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's it's a history book that also has the future history of our country in it. It's really that storm before wow. the calm was good. But so leadership in the shadows. I read a book by um, Stephen Pressfield, Warrior Ethos. Right. And it, and it was a book that you could read. You could read a chapter and then you could put it down, and and if you picked it up six months later, you could get something out of it. So when I wrote Leadership in the Shadows, I wanted to make it a, a book like that. So basically the crapper reader where you could sit down, you know, pinch a loaf. And while you're doing that, you could read a chapter of Leadership in the Shadows. And then if you put it down, now everything does tie together, but you, every chapter is standalone. Right. And that sounds goofy, but if, well, you guys have, at least Logan's read it, I think. I don't know if you've read it, but. Um, I have. Not, I've re, yeah, I re-listened to it. Uh, over the last Christmas break when I was home and, and we get into it quite a bit in detail on your, on your podcast, which is team VTAC. Um, but it's, it's one of those mandatory reads and you can burn through it super quick. You know, I like how you outline things at the end of each chapter and it's from, uh, from an engagement standpoint, uh, it's really interesting to hear how you include your own personal experiences woven into the overall concept of leadership. Well, you know, I, I've received some negative feedback on that book from some folks that said, well, it's not deep enough. And this is just like a, just, you know, it's everything in there is just so simple and he doesn't really go in depth. And it's like, they've you're, probably you're, never heard of the kiss principle then. Well, they're, per, they're exactly the person that it's not meant for. Right. This is meant for a leader that's at our level. If you're going to be the president of the United States, I guarantee you can you can grab a couple of those principles and you can take them all the way up to that level of leadership. Right. However, I didn't write it for the president of the United States. I wrote it for the young Marine, the young Army corporal, um, the new business owner, the, the cop that's out there every day, and they're trying to make sense of how to lead people to do evil things to evil people. Right. That's what it's for. It's not for um, the CEO of Wachovia. <laughs> I don't even right. know if Wachovia is still a bank, but I pulled out a bank that I don't like, so there you go. Right. Um, yeah, I think that, it's one of those that, ones, like every private PFC E1 to E4 should like, that should yeah. be on the Marine Corps reading list, you know, because within this book, it also teaches you how to be a good follower with the mindset that you're going to be a leader in the future. You know, and it works back to a couple of these golden principles, like treat others the way you want to be treated. And there's a couple of really good short exercises in there. Like the you have that section about um, define leadership in one word, and then it becomes this this exercise, this concept that. What, what's your word, Logan? Um. Well, you know, I can't remember what I said last time. You put me on the spot. Here's the thing. It's going to, it, it can change though. And that's what, that's the, the important thing about that exercise. So what I ask is 
What's the what's one word the most important leadership trait to you? Oh yeah, no, I remember yeah. what I said. Yep, it was um, and it was lead. So the the concept that I always fell back on in my time in the Marine Corps was leadership by example, right? And I think if you're a living, breathing, walking, talking example of what you expect out of others, and, and you're this. It's a physical example outside of principles, like you're walking right. the walk instead of talking the talk. That was the thing that really came to my mind. Yeah, my word, I always go back to credibility, but that's the, mm-hmm. it's basically the same as the word you're saying. It's just a different word. Right. Um, and, and what I like about credibility is it's earned. You mm-hmm. don't just get credibility because you get put in a leadership position. But I think what some people forget is why we do that exercise. If you're in a leadership position or if I'm in a leadership position or Evan, it doesn't matter what our word is. It doesn't. It, it, our, what, we, what we worry about doesn't matter. It matters what the people that we're leading, what's their word? Because as a leader, we've got to lead them the way that they need to be led, mm-hmm. not the way we want it done because we're not the person being led. We're the leader. We have, we have the responsibility of leading those people, and how are we going to do that? So I think it's important that we um, always understand that it's not about us. It's about those people that are going to make you successful, and that's the people that you lead. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a leader and you've got no people that are with you, you're not going to be a success. Right. There's no way. You can't do this on your own. Mm-hmm. So you know, be, be successful by understanding your people and and seeing what they what they need so you can how, help them how are you implementing that uh now across vtac with your customers and stuff because obviously you know you have your podcast what are the what are the things that you're talking about to to your customers to the people that are you know vtac supporters well we try to be i've always tried to be very positive yeah and i think that being positive i don't attack people out there. Well, there's a few people like Malcolm Gladwell, cause he's a douchebag, but other than <laughs> people that hate law enforcement or hate the military, then I will attack them because you're attacking my tribe. Right. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, anti hunters. I will attack right. you because you're attacking my tribe. Right. But other than that, it's going to be a very, very positive thing. So when we have, we get hundreds of emails from law enforcement, military, and people that tote guns around. Mm-hmm. And they say, what about this? How about that? Hey, I really enjoyed this. And I try to answer every one of those with a personal email. Now, do I write a big, uh, do, I, do I go on and on and on? No, right. I don't. I say, hey, thanks for the email. I appreciate what you're doing. Or I appreciate the thank you gave us. I, you know, hey, hang in there, stay in the fight, you know, just keep a positive mental attitude. And I think that's, I think that's what a lot of our customers want and need is they're seeing negativity every day because yeah. they're a law enforcement officer. And I'm not saying that their leadership is negative. I'm saying that what they do is a, it's a hard job. Right. So we always try to support those people no matter what it is. Um, every time I get a chance to go out and speak in front of people, I try to keep it positive and I try to also remind them about history, and, and we talked about this, you know, reading books, understanding history so they don't feel like this is the first time our country's been in this right. pandemic. The Spanish mm. flu killed a whole lot more people than this thing's ever going to kill. Right. Um, the battles that we're fighting, I mean, the Marines, you sing about it. The shores of Tripoli, 
That's counter-terrorist. That's this, that, that we were fighting terrorists back then. The Marines were fighting terrorism. So, uh, understand history and understand it so that we don't make the same mistakes, even though we continue to make those same mistakes. Um, and I think that's what I, I try to inspire people to do. Uh, Logan, you, you asked me something right as the recording went off and you asked me about the reading books during the, yeah, yeah. Whether or not, you know, your, your reading pace has increased or stayed the same throughout quarantine. I would say it's, it stayed about the same. I, I read a lot of books at one time. So I have a book that I read before I go to bed. I have a book that I read in the morning when I get up while I'm having a cup of uh, Berserker blend there. Um, and then I have a, I have books that I listen to uh, on audible. And mm-hmm. uh, so currently I've been reading a lot. I've been reading some heavy handed books. I grabbed these while we were breaking there. So that's uh, Herman Wook. Is everything backwards? No, nope, you're good. Okay, yeah, you're good. It's backwards to me, but I guess and that's this case. episode is on YouTube. In case you're listening, yeah, to yeah. So Her- Herman Wook. Um, so the the winds of war. I just finished this last night. This is a really interesting book because of what it does is it takes the primary character uh, Victor Henry and and he's a Navy dude. He's not a SEAL, just a normal Navy cat. And he goes throughout the history leading up to World War II. And it's his family. So, like, his one son is in Poland when Warsaw gets overrun. And then he goes to, this guy is in Berlin, and he goes to meet Hitler. And then he ends up meeting FDR. And he ends up getting assigned to a ship in Pearl Harbor. And he finally shows up. And guess what? His ship gets sunk during the attack on Pearl Harbor before he even gets to take charge of it. Um, his son b- marries a Jewish gal from um, from the United States, but she's in in Italy. So we get a, a view of what's going on to the Italians with Mussolini. It's just a fascinating book, and all the historical stuff is correct. And a lot of the idiosyncrasies about these leaders when he when he meets them, you know, this never really happened. But what how those people acted is. Uh, is a true a true fact. Another book was the Storm Before the Calm. You guys, uh, that's George Friedman, who's a, a a great writer. Thoughts of a Philosophical Fighter Pilot. I haven't finished this, but it's I've been taken. I mean, this thing is filled with notes that I've taken to myself about that. And then, of course, Jack Carr, Savage Son. Yeah, that douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jack Carr. I mean. I, I, I got to tell you, he pisses me off because I'm not into fiction. And then this guy, he writes so well that I've got to read the next book. And this book, his first books were good. This book is unbelievable. And when he does the torture scene. I was telling Evan about that yesterday, actually. The torture scene, I couldn't piss straight for like two days because of that torture <laughs> scene. He, uh, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. And, and some people, I think, are not going to like his writing because it's so real. Right. And, and I think that can be bad for some people because they don't understand that what he's writing, these descriptions of guns and what they're doing, it's real. Now I, I do, I'm going to let you in a little secret. The, the, the main character there, um, James Reese, is that his name? Yeah. So you, when you read this book, he's become like a, a, a serious connoisseur of wine and all that. 
he actually goes gay in the next book. He actually <laughs> becomes the warrior princess. Yeah. And um, he has a he has a love affair with a guy that's running a major coffee company uh, in America. Um, anyway. You know, the, the, funny, the funny thing is, is uh, Jack came down to San Antonio and he spent a few days down here with us. He spent a full uh, half a day with me and I had a little coffee lab here at my house in San Antonio. And uh, we went through all these different aspects of coffee, just like, you know, why does it matter? I, I, I roasted some coffee on the stove. So I, I took some green bean. I fired up our, 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 you know, our gas stove got out a frying pan, roasted coffee, and then showed him the difference between what was happening in the frying pan and what comes out of a regular roaster. And I explained to him the temperature difference. And we cupped a gallon of coffees, you know, a wide variety of espressos and pour overs. And he was one, he, he was amazed that I could, uh, that, that, that one, I had that much information in my head because he didn't think that I could carry, he didn't think the hard drive up here was, had the capacity to carry more than about four sentences that I could string together. Yeah, yeah. And, Dude, he's like, man, I had no idea. But when he was doing research for his book, that's what he was doing. He was he was talking to me about coffee, and uh, he's just a phenomenal guy. I mean, he's he's like one of those guys that when, when you spend time with him, he's positive. He's he maintains a a, a, a network of positive friends yeah, too, yeah, right? Yeah. So he doesn't have this. That, that negative psychological baggage of, you know, a bunch of people weighing him down. He has a active network of positive, productive people that are reinforcing another positive narrative all the way through. And he and I spent a lot of time talking just about that. He lives there in Utah. So we actually get to see him a little bit more than we see you. Uh, but he is a, he's a phenomenal writer. We did, we did an interview with him. Last week? Episode 14. Whenever it was, we talked about the book and stuff. He sent me pictures of the bear hunt that he went on in Siberia. Yeah. And he talked about that hunt on the podcast. Yeah. Dude, talk about your, my, my sphincter was getting tight when he was talking about that thing. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Some old Russian shotgun that he just like (laughs) had dumped into his lap and he's going after a monster. It was a monster, a huge bear. And he's crawling through the brush with something that he doesn't even know will fire. (laughs) I get it it woke me right up. I didn't need any coffee. It woke me right up. I was like, okay, dude, you got my attention. Well, what, what, what's interesting to me is that we've seen his, I don't want to say evolution because I don't believe in evolution. I would say his growth as a writer Mm -hmm. and it's not just him. There's other people that I know that have, have grown as they, because you've got to write to become a better writer. That makes sense. His latest book it's nothing like the first. I mean, the first book was really good. I was impressed. 
this right. book is it's there's it's amazing. I mean, yeah. his ability has has come so far because he's actually been polishing his craft by writing book after book after book. And I would say that, you know, guys like Brad Thor, Brad Taylor, those guys are both friends of mine too. It's the same thing that's happened to them. Brad Taylor was in the unit. Good dude. Yeah. Uh, He was a gut eater. Wasn't enlisted, but, um, good guy. You know where the gut eater thing comes from? Huh? Well, like, have you ever, you've hunted prairie dogs. Yeah. So when you shoot a prairie dog, I was out there and I'm like, man, I I whacked this prairie dog. And he's like, no, you know, he goes down, he's doing his kicking with one leg. And his buddy runs over and grabs him and starts pulling him back to his fighting position. And I'm thinking, prairie dogs are heroic. Like, they're going to pull their buddy back. And then you know what I realized? He was pulling him back because he was going to eat him. (laughs) So much like officers in the military, they're gut eaters. They would pull each other back to the fighting position just so they could eat their own. So that's where the term gut eater comes from, if you've heard me say that. Um, when I had my retirement, one of the officers was like, okay, before we're going to let you retire, you have to tell us about what a gut eater is. And then there was another story they made me tell too. But uh, no, Jack, is he, he, he's awesome. You know, and I called him the other day, actually just yesterday. I had a little... Um, leadership uh struggle here recently and fought through that and i feel like i made the right decisions but the outcome was was uh affected one of his buddies and i called him just to tell him hey man i just wanted to let you know straight from me here's what happened and right and i wasn't trying to sugarcoat it i just told him exactly what happened and uh and he was very appreciative of that. He's like, yeah. And it was funny because some of the comments he made to me were exactly what I would have said. He just, he's a, he, he's, he gets it, man. He really gets it. And, uh, anyway, it was, he, he's a good dude. He was actually headed. He, he told me he could have never done what he did with his latest book. If it wasn't for SIG and black rifle coffee, cause you guys caused him to just crush it. Now, the thing is, it's not like you're supporting somebody that when they get the book, they're going to go, oh, great, Evan told me to get this book, and this is a piece of crap. Right. Well, luckily I got it because I could use it during the COVID yeah, to yeah, wipe my butt with. You're, you're, gonna, you're supporting a guy that when, when somebody reads his book, they're going to love it. They're absolutely going to love what they get. But he, he crushed it, and he, he absolutely gives you and Sig credit for that. So uh, I don't know if it's due, but I mean, it, I, I, and I've talked to him about this because I'm like, Hey man, you're a good guy. He is. He's, he's a great yeah. guy. He's yeah. a great human being. So you, you it, it, as you just mentioned and Logan just mentioned, right? He's, uh, leading by example, by being a great human being. Yep. And, you know, when you mentioned you're, you're the, you're in the same way of, you know, you have to lead by example, and I think was it integrity? Was that what was your what was your credibility? Lead? Credibility, sorry. So he has credibility. He has integrity in his work. He has a, a level of detail that that's quality, and all of those things combine to make a person that it's ultimately easy to support that in in their endeavor because you want to encourage. 
those types of people succeeding because that's a force multiplier, right? It's super yeah. easy. It, and so we we're, we're kind of talking about it. He's like, hey, thanks a lot. I'm like, man, you did all the work. You did all the work. Yeah. I didn't. All I did yeah. was just encourage somebody that's already put in all the fucking hard work. That's super easy for yeah. me. Yep. My gosh, man, like you did all the work. I, I did nothing in this entire equation. I did nothing. I just, we, we leveraged our social media platform and that's, the, and, and talked on a podcast. Like, come on, man. <laughs> you, built, Some, you built a lifetime of integrity and service and a quality product. Trigger that guy. Trigger one get, here. Yeah, she, she wanted to get, Trigger, look up here, right here. Look up here. She's like, I love oh, that dog. I'm out. I love that <laughs> yeah. dog. Anyway, yeah, he's a he's a yeah stellar dude, and like you said, it's easy to to want to promote him because he's just a he's a good cat. And man, I we need more him. we need more human beings like oh, both yeah. you and him. Nah, I don't know if you can know? handle any more of me because I smell bad. But hey, I, 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 I remember been you poetry. Saying you I, I told you I've been writing poetry. Well, you also told me the last time we talked you were going to dip your toe in fiction too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The fiction. Yeah, where's book. Where's Kyle Lamb's it's fiction book? All of the writing is done. Is it? It's just being put into the right order now because I've got to get everything to match until everybody comes together for the final hoorah. Um, I must tell you that I wrote it as a fiction, and several things in my book have come true. Seriously, which are kind of that's kind of cool. Uh, people are going to be like, "Oh yeah, look at this, just like this." He he got that idea from here, and it's like, well. It just, I just happened to write about it and now it's, some of the stuff is happening. So it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. Um, I've been working on that and I've got another, I've got two book projects I'm working on right now. One is a, a Christian book uh, about Christian warriors from the Bible mm-hmm. and me embellishing those stories to make them, you know, make the, the battle between David and Goliath better, you know, more um, graphic. Right. Uh, David and Bathsheba, you know, to make that story talk about that, because that's a, a really, that's probably the best to me. That's one of the best leadership or lack of leadership stories from the Bible. Um, so yeah, I've got, I've got both of those books are, I'm, I'm working on them and, uh, I don't know when they're going to be available. I wish I could tell you, but it's, it's not my priority. It's just something I'm doing. I, I really enjoy it. So I continue to work on them. I, I think, I think you do have some, some credit. I think you do have some credit coming your way for, for a combination of reasons, which is uh, one, you were probably the, the, one of the first guys in the, in the firearm space to start putting out, uh, good instructional material on, on YouTube. I think you might've been one of the first guys to really start programming great instruction and, and propagating that to the community early on. I, I was, when I was an instructor, um, you know, for the couple years that I, I, I taught it, I, I watched most of your videos and I can't tell you how many drills I took, you know, when I say ripped off from you, I was teaching government service, so I wasn't ripping it off. Well, no, <laughs> you know that's what, what I mean? we want, though. See, that's the thing. That's what it's for. Yeah. Um, we get a lot of calls from guys that are writing they're writing manuals right now for the M17, and they're like, mm-hmm. um, can we get permission? I'm like, permission? You use everything you want. When I put it out there, it's for everybody to use. 
I want people to become better. That's why we do what we do. You know, I don't need credit. I need you to go out and win the fight. <laughs> That's all we yeah, need. And you put out fantastic material. I mean, your material today that you still put out is fantastic. I think when you revolutionized what people were doing in the instruction uh, category, as far as your the 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 level of experience that you had, where you had come from, uh, what and whom you were teaching, that combined elements of those things. Uh, I, I don't know how many guys you have helped throughout the years and inspired to go out and become better instructors to serve their communities and in, in, in an honorable and professional way. I have no idea how many people that is. Statistically, I think it'd be really hard to even kind of come to a number. Uh, but you know, you're, you, you are the guy that started a ton of this stuff, you know, to your credit, you've, you've done a fantastic job of maintaining a, a, a humble demeanor. I would say the one discredit that you have in that is some of your videos, your early videos, you come off as kind of a, a, a really serious, uh, dry, instructor whereas like if you ever go if you ever meet kyle and go to one of his courses oh man you are that's what when i because i was watching your your videos but then when i met you i kind of expected you to be a dick yeah yeah i really did i kind of expected you to be a dick i'm like man that guy's like the nicest guy in the he's like one of the nicest guys i've ever met and you're super happy and fun to be around but your videos initially they they didn't they didn't capture your true personality. So I would say that's well, not I was necessarily too. I mean, really? you're, you're nervous. We were. I filmed all those myself. It was me yeah. and another dude. We set up all the cameras, and then I'd run in there and how do I look? Okay, now we're gonna get. It was stupid. It was just stupid. But <laughs> but there's some really good, and not everything that I taught then. I don't teach everything quite the same. I mean, I I try to keep moving on and, and getting right. better and better, but. Yeah, it is really funny. I don't take myself real serious because there's a time to be a dick and there's a time to take yourself serious. And and this isn't it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and you're still doing I, courses up at SIG Academy, right? Yep, yep. Still doing stuff at SIG and, and traveling the country doing that. Um, although, like I said, the quarantine has changed my views on a few things. I am, I am having so much fun being at home, hanging out with my wife. We just, I mean... We just we have a lot of fun, and now we're working together on some of these projects. She's making right. um, she's making sheaths and stuff for knives that I'm making, and it's just it's a lot of fun. But yeah, we're still doing that. We're still uh, a lot of leadership seminars, and uh, just yeah, whatever I got to do. And every now and again, we stop by Black Rifle Coffee, and we usually do that when Evan's not there, so we can yeah have some fun because yeah. it's, it's no fun when dad is there, you know, keeps us, <laughs> keeps us in line, but yeah, I'm no, I'm no fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, the funny thing is I was, t- I was talking to, um, um, I, I went bow fishing again for the second time. Cause my first time I ever went bow fishing was with Kyle and we were right down the street from his house. <laughs> and so Kyle and I and Richard Ryan, and this is why everything went wrong because Richard was with us. Um, but Richard, I mean, Richard is like, he needs help. Doesn't he all yeah. the time? Yeah. 
He, you yeah. know, you know, you know, we did that entire night. So Kyle and I went bow fishing first time I've ever gone. He was a gracious host. So we loaded up the boat, went out there, got the floodlights out. It was super fun. We were having a blast. We, Richard was there to film Kyle and I do what we do and on film everybody. Right. So we go down the river. So we put in, we go down the river quite a ways. What do you think? Two miles, a couple miles. Yeah. Yeah. A couple miles. And, uh, we, 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 we took in a rock and the rock got jammed on the propeller, right? Is that what happened? It's an impeller. Cause it's a giant motor. impeller. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That and rock so we, was only, it was about the size of a silver dollar and about right. a quarter of an inch thick. And it was perfect in the impeller. And we were shut down, down <laughs> yeah. river. shut down, down river. And, uh, so we were pulling the boat back and Kyle had the trolling motor just pegged on the front and I'm like pulling this boat up with the line. And I thought it, I was like, this is going to make incredible content. Cause one, you and I were joking around the entire time. Like not one time where we fish ever were jumping out. Yeah. It's like these fish that are, that are, you can't even see in the camera. Cause I can't get the right <laughs> yeah. They're big fish. They're jumping. We're like, and the only fish we got that night in the boat, they jumped, jumped in, in the, the boat. boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like slapstick. You uh, and I were, it was just like, you and I were slapstick None of the audio. Oh, yeah. the audio didn't get it didn't get saved because Richard had not done any of the the audio work or whatever. So Kyle and I are out there. I'm like, this is going to be such a cool piece of content. The entire time, I'm like, this trip could not have gone better. Was we you know, two of us shooting no fish? No audio. No audio. You know, it could the, not have gone better. You know what the, the the nickname for a guy named Richard is, right? Uh, I got one. Douchebag. <laughs> blue falcon blue falcon oh my and, goodness but talk about man we had a great couple days out there because you and i shot at the range like your house is uh, uh, your 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 compound is awesome you got your range right down there i you didn't have a forge at the time i don't think no. you didn't have it did you no no where's it where do you have that set up in the big brown barn Okay. Yeah, we put it yeah. in there, but we're building, like I said, we're building a building just for that. And it's going to be cool because I'll be able to have everything set up and just walk in and start working. Now I've got to move stuff around. And, and Did you get your turkey yet? No. No? You got turkeys out there? Yes. On your property? There is a really good tom in our front yard, you know, down yeah. by the pond. But yeah. that's in the green zone. And Melinda's like, you can kill coyotes, armadillos, possum. All that can be shot there. Right. But you're not allowed to kill deer or... Oh, he's in the safe space? He's in the safe space. Oh, so man. I've been watching him bang female turkeys down there. It's kind of a, a turkey pornography going on. Um, they're laying eggs already. We we have we have found some eggs. Have you? Yeah. Just a little dinner entertainment. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. But I have heard one up over on the other side of uh, Grinder Switch and... I, I just, I'll tell you, man, and this is going to sound completely terrible coming from me. This year, I have not been feeling the turkey hunting, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. I have been forging like a madman. It is, when I have a a minute that I can do something, I walk from my office over to the 
to where I've got the forge set up and I'm either making a handle. I've made some, some, I don't know if I've sent you some of the other pictures, but some of the knives that I've forged, I've, yeah. I've put uh, curly maple handles on them. I made some curly maple handles. I burned that one that, that I showed you the picture of there or Melinda burned it and, and finished all that. Um, I've just been too busy forging. And then Melinda's been making me work in the warehouse because our business is up significantly right now, which normally yeah. doesn't happen when something like this takes place, but we're, we're, we're getting crushed right now. And maybe it's, I don't know. I'm not sure why that is, but it's good. We're going to keep, we're shipping product like crazy. So yeah, it's good. I've been doing a lot of podcasts with other, other folks. Um, and then our podcast has been doing really well too. We've been, I, I decided to to start putting one out every single week, and I've been doing that now for a couple months. Nice, and it's really gotten our numbers to go crazy for us. You know, there's right. Team VTAC. Yeah, the Team VTAC podcast is doing doing really well. And like I said, you know, now that I'm writing poetry, I'm probably going to be um, I'm probably going to be a, a sensation when that poetry gets released. Without a doubt, are you going to put out a book of poetry? I don't know if I'm going to do a book. Because right now I've only written uh, two poems, so but they're good. I mean, they're really good. I I could. Uh, I mean, if you want a sampling, I'm I'm willing yeah, to give you that. Please do. Yeah, so I would love I mean, it. My my first one is called the first time. <clears throat> Are you ready for this? I don't know if I'm you ready. can handle this. So. I'm ready, man. The sky was dark. The moon was high. We were alone. Just her and I. How do you like it so far? For, are you digging it? Yeah, You're okay. Digging it. So blood is flowing. Yeah. So we were all alone, just her and I. I trembled and shook and felt her heart, and then I slowly spread her legs apart. <laughs> and with my courage, I did my best. I placed my hand upon her breast. Logan, you're digging it, right? Yeah. I knew she yeah. was ready, but I didn't know how. It was my first experience at milking a cow. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm lying. I did not write that poem. I did not write that poem. But I, I actually, if, if you want to, you want to hear a poem I wrote? I do. I okay. do. Now, I this one do. is, this one, it's, this might be a little tough for me to get through. Okay. But, um, and I think that, that um, you with your relationship with your dad, this, this is, this is kind of written for you. So um, my dad uh, was born in 1911 and uh, he died back in um, 99. So he was 88 Wow. 88 years old when he passed away. All right, so this is one I actually did write. Okay. I'd pay money to have my dad sitting across the fire from me. The Lord gave him a wonderful life and called him back to thee. He taught me most when I was young to swing a rope and shoot a gun. He worked all day, even when the day was long. I miss you, Dad, now that you're gone. Always reciting the village blacksmith, his favorite poem, the church was full to capacity when he called you home. Dad, there is so much I didn't say. Guess we'll have to wait until another day. You were a man of honor, work and prayer. You'd made me think. You'd made me toil. You were always there. 
Get on, boy, he can't throw you. You're in the mud. Breaking horses was in his blood. Dad always said, break the horse, but not their spirit. And if I sit real still and think of you, I can still hear it. Making hay, tending crops, and feeding cattle, no other man could take your place preparing me for battle. I miss you, Dad, and there is so much I want to say. I missed an opportunity back then, so waiting on the day. When Jesus finally tells me it's time, I'll drop what I'm doing, knowing things will be fine. I'll sit across the fire in heaven above, looking into the flickering face of the dad that I miss and love. How's that? What do you think? That's really good, man. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, uh, there you have it. That's that is beautiful. So I think what my my point there is um, with that. I was thinking about how lucky I am right now because I'm able to see my son a bunch. Yeah, and now my daughter a bunch too, and my grandson and my granddaughter. You know what I'm saying? And and yeah. you with the situation you've got with your dad. You know, it's just it's something that you. I think you're you're lucky because you're you've uh you've been able to spend more time with your dad and do a lot of stuff and it's it's something like I said I I joined the army and then I I just kind of didn't look back. Yeah. And I'd see my dad when I went back on leave or whatever but I never man just just literally I told somebody and where this came from I was I was talking to some dudes and we were talking about our dads, and I said, I'd give a million dollars to to be able to talk to my dad for just a couple hours, you know what I mean? And uh, and I think that's what we don't we don't want that to happen. We don't want to get to the point where you're you have regrets like I wish. And and my dad and I had a great relationship, but I just think there's a lot of questions. My dad was around before TV was invented. Right. His family bought one of the first cars. You know, it was many years after the cars had been available, but they finally farmed with horses. They finally got a car. And just think about the stories that he could have told if I just would have known the right stories to ask. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, so be thankful for your families. You're in quarantine. Ask those questions of your parents and your your kids and make it a, a special occasion because it is. I mean... Every day that you can be with them in quarantine is, it's awesome. You may want to kill them by the end of the day, but go outside or read a book or beat on a piece of metal for five minutes and then you'll be ready to get back in the fight, you know? So. Well, I couldn't agree more. Kyle, it's always good to talk to you, man. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. It was a great podcast. You know, I know you were let down because you thought the story, the, the poem was going to be about you, Evan. <laughs> yeah so i have to i'll write one for you I'll, I'll i might have to write a book of poetry warrior poetry you know yeah you, you can write it about the the the, the a, a guy that's that has to work five times harder than he should because he's fucking too dumb to figure it out the first time <laughs> that's good though because by the time you get through it you you have mastered it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh, funny man <laughs> all right we'll go to vtac check out kyle lamb uh 
go check out Team VTAC over on his podcast. Anything and everything this man puts out is just about as good as it's going to get out there as far as subject matter expertise, leadership, wisdom, uh, just daily thoughts, rants, and history. Uh, can't say enough good things about Kyle. He's a great friend, great human being, great American. Thank you very much, Kyle. All right. Love that. Thanks for having me.